there's a study that shows people tend to be most open to seeking out and enjoying new music at around age 20. But by the time they're 35, there is a 95% chance they're not listening to anything new anymore. Does that sound like anybody you know? Now, imagine you're a songwriter with over four decades in the business. Do you remain successful by continuing to write in the same style you did in the 80s, or do you adapt and keep an open mind? In case there's any doubt, this month's guest will make it clear. I'm Tom Maley, and this is Write You a Song. Starting in the mid-1980s, Jeff Stevens has written some monster country hits, including songs that could fairly be called classics. But as his career has gone on, he hasn't just gone back to the same well again and again. And as such, some of his more recent stuff has actually gotten blowback for not being country enough. Now, if you listen to the podcast at all, you'll know a few other veteran songwriters have faced the same challenge and charge. But in a business where you're only as relevant as your last hit, staying in the writer's room requires never closing the door on suggestions or ideas. Even if one of those suggestions is, hey, you want to produce Luke Bryan? Jeff discusses these notions about as well as anybody I've ever had on the podcast. And he's also a pretty hilarious storyteller. Sit back and enjoy. Jeff Stevens, welcome to Write You a Song. Well, thank you for having me, Tom. One of the things about this podcast, you know, I've talked to a, a ton of songwriters, but most of them are just, just songwriters. And even the ones who do produce, I never really got into the minutiae of uh, producing with them. But I kind of want to do that a little bit today, just because, to be honest with you, I don't know that much about it. I know listeners don't know much about it. You hear producers credited and thanked all the time. So I also want to talk a little bit about the art of producing, because that's just as creative a process as songwriting is, isn't it? Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, man. I mean, you know, and just as individual, you know, I mean, you're working, you know, you may be working in a room with another writer or another or a couple of other writers. And, you know, that's that just has its own moment. And, uh, you know, when you're when you're producing you know, you're doing the same thing, kind of. You're 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 kind of dancing with uh, with uh, with a partner and uh, trying to, you know, uh, help them. You know, the artist achieve uh, what they're looking for. You know, they're, they're what they're looking for is connection. You know, with uh, with fans, and uh, uh, so that's you know that's kind of your main duty. Have you always, I, I like, I saw an interview where you had a, a, a great way of putting it. And I, I was surprised to hear you say it because I would think that somebody going, you know, behind the board to produce a record, you've got to really have a different way of listening. But your quote was, you have average ears. And you said that is part of your success. Explain that. Well, man, I, you know, I mean, I was brought up and Lincoln County, West Virginia, you know, in the 60s, in the 70s. And I'm just a, I'm, I'm a hillbilly, you know, and uh, um, I love music like the average person loves music. And I honestly feel like I'm just kind of like that. It, it either strikes me in the heart and I like it. I don't know why I like it. Just like the average listener, I don't. I don't think most people can describe to you why they love someone or why they love a song. They just know they like it. And, and that's, that's what I trust is that sort of just that feeling. Is it possible to 
It sounds like your answer would be yes here, so I'm not sure why I'm asking it. But is it possible to overthink uh, 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 producing uh-huh. producing yeah. a record? Yeah, 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 sure, man. You can overthink it. You can overshoot it. Uh, you know, I've done it. And uh, thankfully, you know, in, in like the case of Luke Bryan, uh, you know, a lot of the times he'll reel me in, you know, and go, nah, man, you know, or push me the other way. But, uh, yeah, man, it's easy to overthink. Uh, but uh, I, honestly, uh, I sort of I, – I heard Donald Fagan of Steely Dan say one time, you know, they sort of – they. They strive for perfection, and they take take after take after take after take, and it's perfect. It's perfect. It's perfect. It's already perfect, and it's perfect again. And then they find that one that uh, that they finally land on one that you know is uh, is the right one that has the, the feel, and uh, and that's where you you know that's what you're looking for, the feel of it, and uh, you know you can kind of tell it, man. When, even when you're overthinking it, you go, well, man, you know, the reason I'm overthinking this is I haven't found the feel. Mm. I haven't found the soul of what we're, of what we're looking for here, you know. Now let's back up a little bit. Have you always, did you come from a musical family? Have you always been musically inclined? I know you originally went to Nashville to, to be an artist, so you've got a musical background. But when did, when did music take over your soul? Um. Well, real quickly, my family was no musicians in my family. Uh, my dad was a dreamer, um, kind of a huckster. I mean, he he started dozens of businesses, and, and all of them failed. And one of the businesses that he started when I was about nine years old was me and my brother Warren getting in the country music business. And they bought us a couple of guitars. And uh, I found myself about a year and a half later doing shows what? with sparkly suits and, and and boots with glitter glued on them. No, I'm not kidding. You know, so I, you know, man, I'm 62, I guess, and I, I've been at this since I was eight years old. So, and it, you know, I, I, I liked it. It was frightening, to be honest with you. And uh, we would go on shows with all the big stars of the day that would come through West Virginia. You know, like. Uh, Conway and Loretta and George and Tammy and, and Charlie Pride and Bill Anderson. I mean, you name it, you know, these two kids were standing up and, you know, opening the show. There were times, a few times when I just thought that this is just too much for me. And it was a little frightening when I was young, but somewhere in my teenage years, you know, it, um, uh, that all kind of went away. Dad sort of, uh, uh, went in another direction and, and, uh, uh, I just started writing songs. I, it's what, I, I wrote my first song when I was 13. So, you know, uh, I'd say that that was kind of the moment where, you know, when you're writing songs, it's kind of taken over. When did you realize you had a knack for songwriting? Because, you know, writing a song and writing a song are two totally different things. Yeah, very early. Uh, I met a buddy in in uh, high school. I met a guy in high school. His name's Terry Dawson. And he uh, joined my band and was playing drums in my band, and we started writing songs together. He was a, he loved the English language, and he doesn't warp it all around like I do. He would write these these uh, legal pad pages of lyrics, and uh, I would uh, just start putting them to music. You know, I'd start singing them. You know, I knew what a song. The song was three minutes long, and, and had a verse and a chorus, and 
So I just started putting the music and we start playing them. And uh, the short story of that is he and I were in a band together. We came to Nashville. Uh, before we came to Nashville, though, we were mailing these songs to Nashville from West Virginia. And a couple of the songs that we that we wrote uh, became hits for a group called Atlanta. And uh, one of those songs was uh, Sweet Country Music, which made it to uh, number three on the Billboard chart. Singing sweet country music, breathing clean mountain air. Singing sweet country music, makes me wish that I was there. It's been more than a year now since my daddy. But I keep his memory with me in the songs we used to play. Singing sweet country music, breathing clean mountain air. Singing sweet country music makes me I think it's interesting to talk to a songwriter like you who has seen it all. I've had I've, just last month. I've had Kent Blasey on, and uh, yeah. I've had Paul Overstreet on, and uh, several others who have kind of seen it all. Uh, Terry McBride, and what I would just can you give me your cliff notes on country music from the mid '80s to now? I don't even know if that I'm, makes sense, I'm, man. I'm, you know, it makes total sense, and. I, you know, if you think about it, I, I just, if I think about it, I just look to the next day. I look at right now, I'm, a, I'm an in-the-moment kind of person, and I look forward somewhat uh, and uh, never look back. And, uh, yeah, man, you know, I mean, you know, I had that first hit there in the 80s. I, I had hits in the 90s. I, I had hits in the aughts and started producing Luke then, and I've been producing him ever since. I mean, I've, I've been a part of making hit, hit records for five decades mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I, I think that um, I, I, I try to stay current by listening to what's going on I'm not a good copier I'm not a good analyzer but I do hear what's happening and I and I obviously working with an artist that uh, that hopefully they know what they want to do or I, I can help them focus in on it and, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I just, I just move along, you know, I use what's inside of me, maybe not quite as much as I used to. Um, there was a time that I recall in the nineties when, when I was full on, uh, writing, you know, I sort of have two guys when I write, I got a rock guy and I got a country guy and I was, I was having hits with George Strait, you know, and that was sort of my country guys having hits with. Blackhawk in Alabama with my rock guy, you know, and I, I just, I still am able to use some of that stuff today, but I have to be careful uh, injecting, you know, some of that stuff because uh, it doesn't, it, some of that stuff doesn't necessarily work now. So it's just kind of that, you know, uh, just changing with the times, you know. Well, that, that that's an interesting comment. Do you think, do you think a song like True which you wrote for George Strait. Could that be a hit today? 
And, you know, that question, I, I think of that a lot, and I think that it, it's all in the moment. And first off, it's a bloody miracle to write a great song. And then to have it match up with an artist that actually wants to sing that song. It, it's, I mean, I can't stress, I, I, you know, I'm sure it's been said on your show, but it's like being struck by lightning. And so there's something about the curve of uh, that art and, and commerce and where the artist is that occurs at a certain time. And I almost think that, no, I, the, the answer is, is I'm not sure if True could be a hit now. Not because it's not an incredible song. I've got loads of incredible songs that are, that are laying around that may have missed the moment somehow. And, uh, and so do the, those songs are laying everywhere here, man. I mean, they're, they, those songs are underneath the heaps of songs that are great in this town. True in this modern world when two lovers get together. Chances of them ever making it to forever Couldn't be better than two in a million hearts Girl, this ain't just another run-of-the-mill emotion What I'm feeling is a definition of devotion My love for you is true Sun coming up each morning, bright as the light and a baby's smile. I think that your songwriting, the, the style of music style or whatever, uh, it's interesting because it, it kind of, you can see it in, in Luke Bryan's music. You've worked with him from the very beginning. And All My Friends Say, which was his, that was his first big hit, right? Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. That song, it, it belong, it, that could easily you know, be from 1995 or that, that's just a country song with that kind of feel that uh, of that era. But then as you've gone along, as Luke has matured as an artist, and I'm sure as, as you've, it have changed and just talk a little bit about that. I'm sorry. It sounds like you had a a thought ready to go. So go. Well, um, you know, uh, all my friends say, you know, I, I just make it as quick as I can, you know, uh, uh, and and from what I remember of the first album, you know, we made an album. We we we, we cut Luke's first album, and uh, which, by the way, I met Luke on a songwriting session. Uh, I was not looking to produce anybody. As a matter of fact, uh, I I had already made up my mind that I was never going to go down that path. Mm. Uh, but he and I wrote a song together, and the short story is is. The powers that be loved what we did, and they asked me to produce his his music in the beginning. And and so yeah, we wrote all my friends say together. Um, we wrote a few other songs on that first album together. I can't remember how many we had, but we we were writing really good songs together. 
and he had some other uh, great songs and that he had written after we turned it all in uh, i think somebody at the record label said hey we think all my friends say is the first single which surprised me and yes uh, my point on that is is on the first album my influence was my songwriting influence was heavier than any other album since and that really was because luke was just beginning uh, you know he was he was kind of searching for what what he would be doing and i was helping him on the search you know we were we were looking for that together and uh, yeah all my friends they does sound a whole lot like some of my earlier stuff i got smoke in my hair my clothes thrown everywhere woke up in my rocking chair When you when you look at Luke's more contemporary stuff and the music and the the, the, the style that he uh, performs in has changed as well, and I wonder how much of that is Luke and you're following his lead, and how much of that is you kind of um, you know lifting him up a little bit. Well, I have to say that it's it's really both of us. I mean, we work very closely together, and 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 we also about I can't remember how many albums back, but about. Four albums back, the album, I think it was Kill the Light. Uh, my son Jody Stevens uh, was brought on board by Luke because Jody was having success producing um, younger sounding acts, and, and, uh, and Jody's what, uh, you know, what is sometimes uh, derogatorily spoken of in his town as a track guy. And uh, which I, I don't like to say that word because I, I think it, it takes a lot of talent to do that. But actually, you know, man, what we were trying to do, I mean, I'll just be honest with you. We were trying to be at the forefront of it. We we were trying to make sounds that that had not been made on country radio before. And that's what drove us. That's what drove him. I would get on the bus with him in those early days and be one bus, everybody crammed on that thing. and. Uh, you know, I'm an old man trying to get sleep on that thing, waking up at four o'clock in the morning, uh, uh, you know, after we've been out all night to listen to him play. And as soon as he got through playing, first off, he would rock the club wherever it was. He would tear it apart. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he got done, they would turn on uh, the hip hop, the dance music. 
and the place would that's when it really started erupting and that's that's really i mean luke saw that and i saw that you know firsthand and uh we just said well this is i mean this is this is the way to go this is what they want they're screaming for it and so that was a part of what changed what we did sound wise and uh, you know we just we're always pushing each other for you know new sound new arrangements so luke was he was perceptive enough to to recognize in those clubs that people don't listen to one style of music anymore that is long gone and you have people who you, you when you have songs that that name check you know little john and merle haggard there are people who really that's on their spotify playlist they listen to all of that different yeah. stuff and it's it's kind of like if they're arguing about your artist that's a good thing you know it's when they're not it's when they're not when they really don't care is uh, when it could be uh, a problem and you know the same thing goes with records you know when records get big enough they tend to get polarizing i mean you know you can you can take them from the walker hayes thing last year to back as far as you want to when records get big enough they tend to be polarizing well i think it's again you know with with the perspective that i have and i'm sure that you have seen this exact same thing too and you can remember this when garth brooks you know really blew up there were a lot of people that didn't like Garth Brooks. He was bringing rock and roll to country shows, and and the same thing with Shania Twain. I remember people being mad that you know she was she was so pop, and 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 Toby Keith, you know, came out with uh, I want to talk about me, which I always it, rap song. What's he doing a, a rap song for? I used to love telling people who wrote that song. You know, Bobby Braddon. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but but it, it, there's always been that, and, and there and I don't know why country has always clung to that. This is country. This isn't country. Uh, I think that, it, it, like any anything, it's got to grow and change in order to survive. And it's great that 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 the roots remain too. And there will always be those artists that remain true to that. But there've always got to be artists pushing the envelope too, or otherwise, it's not art. Yeah, yeah. You know the the whole country, not country thing. I mean, you're you're talking to a guy that wrote a song called "Sweet Country Music." I mean, nothing means more to me than country music. Uh, it's been my life, but I've been hearing this argument again, since I was old enough to understand what people were arguing about. And they were arguing about, well, this ain't country that, that I like that Ray Price record because it's got fiddles on it, but I hate this Ray Price record because it's got a, it's got an orchestra on it. Now that just don't make a whole lot of sense to me. It didn't make no sense to me when I was a kid either. Uh, you know, but that's, you know, again, I think, yeah, I'm kind of back to the good thing. The good news is, is if you're polarizing, you know, you're probably doing something that's, that's big enough for people to be talking about. And that's usually a good thing. I want to talk about some of your songs specifically, if you don't mind and get, if there's a story that goes along with it, great. If not, that's fine too. But we talked uh, earlier about uh, George Strait and, and True. And obviously George liked your writing enough that he cut two other songs of yours, which are also, uh, and by the way, from now on, you know, when somebody brings up you know, Luke Bryan's not country, I'm going to say, well, you know, the guy that produces him, he also wrote Carrying Your Love With Me and Carry It Away. You like those songs, right? <laughs> 
that's one thing. That, yeah, that 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 always that that's one of the things I love about doing this podcast is you you find out the versatility of of the, the songwriting community. You people are you're not chameleons. You're you're resourceful and your, your minds are open to to. I, mean, I think even in, a, in an interview, uh, you talked about you're not afraid of change. You're 62 and you're not afraid of change. You're kind of an anomaly. But I think that's pretty typical for, for songwriters, at least the ones I've talked to. Yeah, I think, you know, I, you know honestly, I've had friends, songwriter buddies that, that um, um, for whatever reason, you know, um, once, once it seemed to get past them just a little bit, they sort of gave up you know and and uh wow i can think back to a couple of them that i would just beg them don't don't give up yet man don't don't do this you know just you got to keep trying you got to keep writing don't let them retire you 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 retire when you're ready you know and and uh um so you know all i can say is is that you know change is inevitable it's actually you know it's no different than a tree a tree grows out in in the most favorable directions and it's a beautiful thing and you just have to uh you have to, i'll put it this way i don't know what anybody else has to do but i embrace it i love that so all right sorry, i didn't mean to go off on a, a little tangent there but i'm going to just say the song and and just tell me what comes to mind carry it away carry it away huh. well uh yeah no big story with that one uh, i should have made one up a while back but uh <laughs> But I, I wrote that with Steve Bogard, and we were writing together a lot. And uh, that's his title in his office one day, yakking and drinking coffee, and he brought it up, and we took off writing it. You know, one of the things that I do recall is uh, there uh, seems to be, have be and always have been these sort of uh, unspoken, or actually they're spoken, rules at any given time, you know, well, they're not cutting this right now, or they're they're not saying that right now, or or you know you got to stay away from this, oh, or that, you know, whatever. And uh, I, I can't write songs that way. I, I'm I'm completely from the guts. I, I it's just not. I can't uh, I can't do that. So the first line of that song, uh, which I think is always the most important line of a song, is uh, I don't take my whiskey to extreme. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, when he said that, you know, I went, hell yes. <laughs> and uh, and then he goes, well, man, you know, right now they're not really kind of, you know, and it's, at the time they were saying no drinking songs. You can't talk about beer and whiskey and all that garbage, you know. And uh, so I said, man, I don't care what you're supposed to do or not supposed to do. That line right there is badass. And uh, if, if, if they turn the radio off after hearing that, then I, you know, we'll just have to pack up our bags and go back to washing cars. I don't take my whiskey to extremes. Don't believe in chasing crazy dreams. My feet are planted firmly on the ground. Darling, when you come around I get carried away by the look, by the light in your eyes Before I even realize the ride I'm on Baby, I'm long gone I 
get carried away Nothing matters but being with you Like a feather flying high up in the sky On a windy day I get carried away You were right. You felt it in your gut. You were passionate about that. Oh, yeah, man. I, I get pretty worked up when <laughs> I get pretty worked up about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Back when? Oh, Lord. I hope you've got a minute because I have to at least <laughs> tell you a short story about that. Yeah, it's a podcast. Take as much time as you need. Okay. Um, I was uh, used to write with Stan Lynch uh, uh, a lot. Uh, he was the the uh, the great drummer from uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, all the original stuff from the 70s and all through the 80s. Mm-hmm. He and I, he'd come up to Nashville and we'd camp out together, right, all week long. And, and then the next week we would demo the stuff. And then it would, we'd been writing two or three days and we'd kind of get tired of looking at each other, you know, and I kind of want to bring somebody else in. So I said, I'll, I'll call Stephanie Smith, my friend Stephanie, who Stephanie had written uh you know so many huge hits and he and i were drinking coffee one morning there on music row and waiting for her to come in and it's about i don't know like 10 o'clock or something that's kind of when we were expecting her. and um she called me and she said there's a snake in my house and you know she's like frantic and uh you know what, what do i do you know and i looked over at stanley and i said and she's got a snake in her house. What what did she do? And he said, tell her to uh, get a broom and sweep it out the door. You know, right <laughs> like that. And I went, oh, mom, man, I can't tell her that. She'll get mad at me. So we went over there to her house. And I told her, I said, look, I'll come over there and see if I can help you flush it out. And uh, when we get there, I go, you know, uh, where is it? She said, it went under the dishwasher. I said, I said, just exactly how big is this thing? And uh, she got, held her hands out. You know, and I said, it looked like it was about like 18 inches long, you know. And and I thought, you know, I'm I'm thinking about that. And I'm, I'm looking at my thumb and my finger, and I'm thinking, how big around is the head on this snake? Because <laughs> if it looks like a big copper head, I, I don't want to deal with that, you know. But, but you know, it was, uh, I'm thinking it's a small snake. And I told her, I said, look, find me a screwdriver. I'll get under there, and I'll look for it. But I promise you, that snake is gone. It'll go down the hole hole it came in here. And uh, so I looked for the snake. We couldn't find the snake. And we, uh, so, and she, she, she had some other stuff going on at her house. We couldn't write there. So we packed everything up, went back to my office. At this point, it's like noon. And it's one of those days where... You know, you've already, you know, you spent, I mean, I get up early in the morning, you know, and I just know that it's a bust. The three of us are sitting there kind of looking at each other. It's 12, 1230, you know, and then our phone rang. And it was a critter catcher. One of these folks that will come and like flush a squirrel out of your attic or Mm -hmm. in her case, hunt for this snake. And uh, she hung up the phone. And I said, who was that? She said, well, it's a, you know, a guy to come, come, come try to find that snake. I said, you shouldn't have done that. I said, you could have done what my grandmother did when I was a boy. I said, uh, 
you could have just found a hoe and chopped his head off with a hoe. I said, that's back when a hoe was a hoe. <laughs> and no way. I, that was the first, that's where that song came from. And when I said that, <laughs> she looked at me like, like I was from planet Mars. And she said, let's write that. Don't you remember the fizz and a pepper, peanuts in a bottle at ten, two, and four? A fried bologna sandwich with mayo and tomato sitting around the table don't happen much anymore. We got too complicated it's all way overrated i like the old and outdated way of life back when a hoe was a hoe coke was a coke and cracks what you were doing when you were cracking jokes back took us about 40 minutes to write that song wow and i just brought in stuff from my childhood that all that it reminded me of hunting for bottles on the side of the road and getting you know pennies from bottles and stuff and you know we wrote the song just like that laughed about it uh was quite convinced i know i remember saying Nobody will ever cut this, uh, but we. But let's just let's have fun with it anyway. And uh, we we went to the end of the week. Uh, Stan set up his drum kit, and we we demoed it. Uh, you know, I sang it, and uh, next thing I know, McGraw said he loved it and uh, had it out on the radio, and it, it was a number one record. Wow, that's a great great story. <laughs> Don't talk to me about writing in cubicles, man. People want to say, oh, you're writing in cubicles, and, you know, you can't have any inspiration in there. That's bullshit, man. I, I, that, that, you, you know, you, you, when you walk into, it doesn't matter where you're at. You can write under a bush. You can write in the bathtub. You, it doesn't matter where you're writing. You can, you can write in a doctor's office. You know, the point is, is, you got to write it down right then when it's coming at you. And that's, isn't that most creative inspiration? It, it, it's like shower thoughts. It hits you when you're not looking for it. The, the harder you look for something, the, the more difficult it is to find. And let me ask you this. Can you manufacture creativity? Absolutely. Ask Stephen King. You know, he's got a book that I read back a few years ago called On Writing. Every single morning, the guy gets up and writes 3,000 words, you know, and, and then, he, then he edits and he edits and he edits. And uh, I, I've been in a room so many times where nobody had nothing, 
nothing. You know, you're, you're dry as a bone. And you're just talking about maybe your grandmother. Or you're talking about, uh, you, know, uh, you, you know, catching a school bus when you're a kid or, or your family or whatever you're yakking about, man. And, you know, all of a sudden, you because song, songwriters are exposed nerves. You know, it, it's like it, it's like your one of your 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 nerves in your hand has just suddenly been laid open, and you're digging at it with your other hand. You know, it you 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 feel this stuff all the time, and, and so when somebody says something that sparks whatever that that thing is that that drives you, you know, you can be off to the races. And, and a lot of times you don't have any problem capturing whatever it is, you know, that uh, the good Lord has given you. When you write with Luke, it seems like the songs that you have written with, with Luke um, are some of his more, I, I referenced it earlier, but kind of more, more mature songs. They're, they're very, they're super, super contemporary, but they're also, they're country. I mean, they're still plain spoken and they're just, they're just well written and well crafted. And I want, I want to just throw some of those song titles at you real quick. Um, Kiss Tomorrow Goodbye. Yeah. Um, was that a matter of, I was, we need to write a song about a break? I mean, did you, was, was somebody like, we need a breakup song? We need, or, 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 no, 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 no. I, I can't, you know, if somebody tells me what to write or says somebody's looking for this, for me, man, I, I just, I don't know. It turns me off. I, I can't do that. Um, in the case of that song, I was about to hop on the bus with him, which was, Back in those days was the only way I could get to write with him, and and uh, we were still writing a fair amount together, and uh, we still do occasionally. But uh, uh, I was at my uh, studio on Music Row about 6 o'clock at night, basically killing time until I had to drive down to Brentwood to get on his bus at midnight. And uh, I was getting going out on the road with him. I had asked... Uh, uh, a new writer, it was new to us anyway, uh, a fellow named uh, Shane McAnally to go with us. And here I've asked somebody who, you know, I was excited about getting in the room with, Shane and and Luke, and I didn't have an idea. You know, I didn't have anything. And uh, I, I'm sure that some other writers have told you, you know, man, come with an idea. I mean, that, that, I mean, come with an idea, come with a couple of ideas. If, if they're no good, maybe somebody will, will bounce off of one of them and make it into something. But I was sitting there at my desk, holding my guitar, like almost like trying to pray for an idea. And I wouldn't do that, but I, uh, I started playing this guitar and I started playing this chord progression that, I that was new to me. <laughs> I'm I'm a rudimentary musician, you know, um, but this chord progression was new to me. I'm sure it's been around before, but I had never played it myself before. So I'm playing this thing, and I got excited. See, there you go. I mean, that's that's when your brain starts kicking off into 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 the ether, and the phrase "kiss tomorrow goodbye" came to me, and I thought, okay. That's that idea has been written a million times where you get together with 
somebody, you get together with your with your lover for the the for for one last time to to try to make it work. And uh, I thought to myself, I hate that idea. And then it hit me. This is not about about them, you know, trying to make things better and all right again. This is them getting together for one last night because they know that's it. And that and there ain't going to be no more. But they never were any good for each other. And um, so, man, I was fired up. <laughs> and uh, got on the bus that night, you know, and uh, me and uh, Luke uh, and uh, actually it's the next day, wherever we were, we landed the next day and he's up, you know, in his underwear on the bus and, and, you know, me and Shane are kind of sitting there and he's not, Luke's not in, a, in the mood to write at all, which I was very accustomed to. When Luke gets in the mood, buddy, watch out. It, it's, it's, it's like a cannonball coming at you. Uh, but he wasn't in the mood at the moment. And, um, he said, either one of you got anything? You got any ideas or anything? And I said, well, I got this thing called Kiss Tomorrow Goodbye. And he went, nah, man, I don't know. Right like that. And that was it. It was gone. Blown out, of, blown out of the water. We were sitting still at a casino for a couple of days because he was playing his casino for two nights. And uh, so Shane's getting really antsy. We haven't written anything. We've been out on the road two or three days. We've done nothing. And Shane comes up to me and he goes, man, are, are we going to write anything? I said, buddy, I don't know. And um, so it wasn't long after that that uh, Luke uh, said, uh, all right, boys, let's, let's try to do something. And so we got on the bus. You know, me and Luke's got guitar. Uh, Shane's with us there. And they threw around a couple things. I said, uh, I started playing that chord progression. And Luke's eyes got real big because he hadn't heard that. And uh, uh, I, he said, uh, what's that? I said, that's that kiss tomorrow goodbye idea I was talking to you about. And, you know, his eyes got real big. And then, then, then that's when the cannonball comes. And I'm telling you, man, I mean, he, I had my cassette tape recorder on because that's how I was still writing at the time. And I turned that cassette player on. It had a one-hour tape in it, which meant that it had a half hour on each side. I turned it on, and we blew through it. And within that half hour, Luke was done. He walked out of the bus. The song, I didn't think the song was done. And Shane literally looked at me and said, what happened? <laughs> and, and, I mean... Luke and I are friends, and we just kind of get each other. And I just look at Shane, and I said, I just kind of shrugged my shoulders, you know. And um, that night after the show, I got the cassette out, and I started piecing together the music and the words because it wasn't – it was all in different sections that weren't arranged. They were all in different places, but all of the lyric was there and all of the chords was there. It was just all in different places on this half hour cassette. And I put it together 
and I noticed that we only had a two-line verse. Two lines for the first verse, two lines for the second verse. And I thought, this is not long enough. And I put it down the way it ended up sounding in the end. I arranged it out. I put it down with me singing it on guitar. And I got away from it the next morning. I woke up and I listened to it. And I said, this is a smash. This is perfect. I don't care what the rule book says. There's supposed to be four lines in a verse. This is it. And more songwriters over the years come to me and go, man, you really messed our world up. You know, I mean, two lines? How did you get by with that? <laughs> you know, and, and every time they say that, I just go, the song is like an awful moment, really, in, in a couple's life. Uh, that probably handled like they handled everything else that was handled the wrong way too you know and if it had had any more words it wouldn't have been right all we do right is make love and we both know now that ain't enough ain't gonna beg you to stay That's where your gut comes in. And it sounds to me like you are a guy, if nothing else is clear from this interview, you're a guy who believes in his gut. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I got, man. I'm not very smart. <laughs> the hell you're not. Jeff, thank you again so much. You, you took more time than I expected, and uh, I'll let you get on with your day. Thanks, Tom. Great talking with you, man. That'll do it for this episode of Regular Songs. Big thanks again to Jeff Stevens for imparting all his wisdom and sharing his great stories. If you're new to the podcast, go back through the archives and check out past episodes. It's honestly like a master class in songwriting and creativity in general. Write You a Song is produced at KNCI Studios in Sacramento, California. We're a production of Bonneville Communications International. If you like the podcast, please share it, give it a rating. And class resumes next month with a fairly new guy on the scene, who's already had some fairly huge success. Drew Parker, next time on Write You a Song.